Well, good evening. Good to see those who are here tonight. Glad to have those with us online. We've been running just a little bit behind with some technical issues there uh, for those of you online. So just want to remind you, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, those are all our resources there that you can watch us online. Uh, I have that upside down, but you see it straight on the screen. Uh, be sure to also use the phone live streaming. You can call the church office. We'll be glad to give you that number. Go to our church website, if you will, to hollandbaptistchurch.com. Uh, it's under the info tab there that you can be able to download the worship bulletin as well as the children's worship bulletins if you need those in person. Our ushers will be glad to give you one. They're in the windowsills over here for the children's worship bulletins also. And then don't forget that you can do your giving. In front of you should be some envelopes in the pew that you can put in the offering plates here at the front. Or you can do that online by going to hollandbaptistchurch.com. Go to the far right-hand side, click the Give Online tab. You can set your online giving up there real easy, either in a recurring gift, a one-time gift. You can even designate to the specific ministries that are listed there. So thank you for joining us tonight, and thank you for bearing with us uh, with our difficulties there. Brother Mike, if you'll come and lead us, and hopefully everything else will work fine. So this does have an introduction. No. Does not. So it starts. This one does. This Sorry. One. Okay. This is my father's world. So this is my father's world. It's in your hymnals on 43. And since Pat's not here, Brother Jim's doing the music. Yeah. 
worked out okay, and hopefully our last one will, but it won't have an introduction for our last one. <laughs> Take your Bibles tonight, if you will, and we're going to be looking, goodness, I think I changed my font on everything, <laughs> so that's okay. Uh, take your Bibles and turn to Matthew's Gospel. We're continuing our series through the life of Jesus. Uh, and tonight I'm looking at uh, the truth about sin. So Matthew chapter 15, uh, we're going to be looking at verses 1 down through verse 20. Uh, and I want to encourage you and ask you, if you will, to just stand uh, as we read God's word uh, in honor of his word. So would you stand, please? So beginning with verse 1 of chapter 15. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you in prayer tonight, we just want to ask, Heavenly Father, that you will speak your truth into our hearts and into our lives to help us to see the application for our lives that if we are here tonight and we don't know Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, I pray that we would see the truth about our sin, that there is nothing we can do uh, to, to fix our sin condition. That has already been done by Jesus on the cross for us. And so I pray that we would freely receive the gift of grace. Lord, I pray that you will hear our prayers tonight and that you will answer in a powerful way to bring those who, who don't know Christ to, to be their Lord and their Savior. But Father, we pray for those of us who are Christians. We ask, Lord, that we, you would just remind us of this truth to give us a deeper appreciation of the gospel and our salvation that we have in Jesus Christ as we see the truth about sin for us. We ask your blessings on your word, the reading of it, the hearing of it, and the keeping of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Well, there's a story uh, about a vacuum cleaner salesman. Uh, it was his first day on the job. He had never sold a vacuum cleaner before. And you know this is back in the old days when they did this and went door to door selling vacuum cleaners. Uh, and they had teamed him up with a sales manager, and this guy was going to train him how to sell uh, vacuum cleaners. Well, it was a door-to-door -door job, and he said, this is how you do it, just watch me. And so uh, he went to the first door in the neighborhood. He knocked on the door. The lady opened the door. Uh, he kind of bullied his way through, and he said, hi, I'm, I'm Jim Scott with Excellent Vacuum Cleaners. He said, I want to show you my vacuum. And then he reached into his pocket, and he pulls out this jar uh, of dirt and muck and grime, and he throws it uh, on her carpet. And she's just horrified. And, and he said to her, lady, if my vacuum cleaner from Excellent Vacuums doesn't get this up off your carpet, I'll get down on my hands and knees and lick it up with a spoon. Well, he plugged in the vacuum cleaner, and it sucked it all up. It was just amazing, and she was amazed, and she said, I'll take one. Well, she bought it, and then the new recruit, he was like, wow. 
Uh, So they went to the next house. They did the same thing. Uh, He kind of bullied his way in. Uh, He threw the muck on the the floor there, and he said, "If, if if my vacuum cleaner doesn't get this off your carpet, I'll lick it up with a spoon. He plugged the vacuum cleaner in, and boom, it took it all up. And the lady, she bought one. And the new guy says, he says to the new guy, he says, uh, have you got it? And the new guy says, yes, I've got it. And so he goes out on his first time on his own solo. He, he knocks on the door. Uh, the lady answers. He introduces himself. He says, hi, I'm Bill Smith with Excellent Vacuum Cleaners. He bullies his way in. He opens his pocket. He pulls the jar of muck and dirt and grime and throws it on the floor. The lady looks at him aghast and he says, lady, if my vacuum cleaner doesn't get this off your carpet, I'll get down on my hands and knees and lick it up with a spoon. She said, well, you better start getting to licking because I ain't got no electricity. (laughs) It's really bad when there's no power. And we need to realize that we need the power of God in our life in order to live a successful Christian life. We cannot do it on our own. We need his power. And God wants to fill your life with his power. So the Lord says, apart from me, you can do nothing. But with me, nothing is impossible. So God wants to bless your life and to fill us with power so that we can be the person he wants us to be, the husband, the wife, the the child of God, the student, the grandparent that he wants us to be. And the only way we can do that is if we have his power in and through us flowing in us. And so if we walk with God and we fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the finisher and the perfecter of our faith, and we set our hearts to know the Lord and to follow the Lord, there is no limit to how high we can climb. There's no limit to the influence that our lives can have for Jesus Christ. But if we get our eyes off of the Lord, And if we start following our own desires, our own passions, our own loves, and they're not in line with the Lord, they're not in line with the Word of God, then there's no limit to how far we can fall. There's no limit to the amount of power failure we can experience and the deadness inside that we can experience. See, the Lord came so that we could have life, so that we could have it more abundantly. But if, if you get away from him, then you will have death and, and you'll have that in abundance. England at one time used to be the center of spiritual power. So many great preachers of old. Uh, came from England, but England's not that way anymore. Did you know that in 1950, 2% of the population of England claimed to be atheists? And today, over 45% of British would describe themselves as either atheists or non-religious. God isn't even a blip on their radar screen in England in the hearts of most of the people. What has happened to a place that was once so vibrant. What happened to England is the same thing that happened to the people of Israel in the New Testament and that can happen to us even today. It's the same thing that can happen to our church. It can happen to our nation. If we're not careful, if we get our eyes 
off of the Lord. And so the setting of these verses uh, in, in this part of the scripture is the visit in which the scribes and the Pharisees from Jerusalem come to see Jesus Christ. Uh, they're kind of the big shots, if you will, from headquarters. They're the heavy hitters of the religious world. They're the men uh, who were the movers and the shakers of the religious community in that day uh, of Jesus. Uh, this is not just a friendly call, if you will, that they're coming to, to see Jesus. They're disturbed at what they've heard that Jesus is teaching. You heard what he was teaching this morning, that he came down from heaven. That was implying he's from God, that he is God. And so they've been disturbed by all of this. And so they've been sent and they've come to investigate, to examine, to interrogate him themselves. And their purpose is to be on a truth mission, so to speak. In other words, they're going to try to find out the story by firsthand observation. So as Jesus went through his ministry, he had more problems from religious people than he did from any other kinds of people in this world. In fact, many times when Jesus was in the presence of sinners, they were much more respectable and open to him than the people who were supposedly expecting him to come. It was these religious leaders who ultimately made this decision that brought Jesus to die on that cruel cross of Calvary outside of the city of Jerusalem. Know this, that if you live, have lived very long as a Christian, you will have more difficulty from the religious crowd than you will from any other crowd. Those who make religion and an and outward matter and not an inward experience will always be disturbed by those who experience, whose experience with God is real and deep and personal and an inward matter. The conversation that Jesus has with these religious leaders is important because it gives us, if you will, a new look at sin. So if you don't understand sin and that we're sinners, uh, then we'll never feel any need for a Savior. We'll think that everything's fine, everything's dandy. What do I need with a Savior named Jesus? Well, what we see here is that when we recognize and see our sin, then we begin to see our need for a Savior. So notice what Jesus says about sin. Notice how sin operates. That's what we see in verse 1 down through verse 6. So you get the picture here. These leaders came in verse 1 that we just read a moment ago, and they asked Jesus a question in verse 2. Let's look at that question one more time that they asked. He, they, they asked, <clears throat> they came to Jesus and they said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders for they do not wash their hands when they eat? Now what did your mama always tell you when you sat down to eat? Wash your hands. Go wash your hands. Uh, well, this was, was taking it a step even further. They were saying, why do, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Well, we really don't know exactly what they were talking about here, but the second sentence makes it a little more sense uh, because it says, for they do not wash their hands when they eat. So if you stop at that point, most of us would agree with them because most of us th would think it's certainly a good thing for most of us to wash our hands before we eat, especially as you're thinking of that kind of culture uh, that they were in, uh, that you would need to wash any impurities off your hand before you start moving your hand towards your mouth to eat. Many times they would use their hands uh, to eat with. Uh, but here's some background that we need to know if we're going to understand what's taking place. From the days of Ezra, 
the Jewish people had added to the scriptures human interpretation, if you will. Rabbis had given their interpretation, their explanation for what the scriptures meant. Now, that's an understandable thing. That's what we do when we teach a Sunday school class. That's what I do as a preacher. Uh, we, we explain and interpret what do the scriptures say to us. But all through those years from Ezra, there have been interpretations uh, of the rabbis concerning the scriptures. And what had happened was is that their interpretations had become so large that they themselves were more difficult to understand than the teachings of the scripture. In other words, what they were doing was adding to what the word of God said. In fact, it came to be incorporated in a book known as the Talmud or the Mishnah. The Talmud was a larger volume today uh, of the Encyclopedia Britannica. It was a large group of interpretations, uh, laws, and explanations of the scriptures to tell people what the, what the laws meant. And one of the rules that they had in the Talmud, in the tradition of the elders, had to do with the washing of hands. Now, this washing of hands wasn't just a matter of being clean. We might understand it if that's all that it was. But it didn't have anything to do with hygiene. Uh, rather, it was a religious ceremony. It was a ceremony by which uh, they said you could be made right with God and fit to come into the presence of God only if you did these extra things. And so they had developed this quite elaborate, if you will, ritual in the washing of hands. For instance, here's some of the things that they said. They had all kinds of guidelines about how the hands had to be held, how the water had to be poured over them so that the water would run off the wrist and not run down uh, the arm uh, to the elbows. They had rituals concerning the washing of pots and pans. How would you like that if you had to have a certain ritual to wash your pots and your pans? Uh, and some do. <laughs> They had elaborate directions about how they were to take the fist of one hand and grind it into the palm of the other hand because they said that the reason for doing that was because when you slept at night, a demon sat on your hands. And the next morning, if you didn't get up and wash your hands and, and wash the demon off, you'd get the demon on the inside of you. It was all these ludicrous type things. And so in other words, if you didn't wash in your hands, the demon would get in you. There, there's nothing wrong with washing your hands in order to be clean for hygiene purposes. In fact, we ought to do that. But when you take washing of hands and you exalt it to the level of religious ceremony, then it becomes foolishness. These disciples had taught that to know God... They had been taught that to know God is an inward matter. It wasn't a matter of what you were on the outside, of whether you washed your hands or not, but what you are on the inside. And that was in direct contradiction and clashed with the teaching of the tradition of these elders. The problem was is that the tradition through the years had been elevated until really it became more important than the scriptures did. And so the Jewish leaders they became so disturbed with Jesus when he laid aside the teachings of men and stayed with the Bible, stayed with the word of God. These religious leaders begin to make an accusation here against the disciples of Jesus Christ, and they were exactly right in their accusation. But Jesus was never intimidated by this crowd. When Jesus responds to them, he gives an admission 
and an accusation. He admits that his disciples have transgressed or broken the tradition of the elders. But he also accuses them of breaking uh, the, the word of God by putting human interpretation above the teachings of the Bible. So look at verse 3, if you will, down through verse 6. He answered them and he said, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his mother or his father, what what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So so for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. So what's he saying there? What he's saying to them is, is that you're guilty of elevating human opinion above the the divine teachings of the word of God. And he illustrates that by showing how they've done that with the fifth commandment. The fifth commandment simply says for us to honor our father and our mother. In the fifth commandment, there is definitely indicated that children have the responsibility to care for their aging parents. But notice what these religious leaders had done. They had taken and devised a clever way, if you will, to avoid fulfilling the teachings of the scripture to take care of your parents. They had this little system called Corbin, if you will. The word Corbin means a gift. And so they would take all of their material goods and they would say, all of my things are dedicated to the Lord. And because it's being dedicated to the Lord, that relieves me of the responsibility of caring for the needs of my aging parents because I don't have anything to take care of them with. I've already given it all to the Lord. But here's the kicker. That didn't mean that they couldn't use those material things for themselves. They, say, they were saying, we can't use it to take care of our parents, but we can use it for ourselves. And so it all sounded very spiritual, but it really was a terrible way to treat your mother and your father. It was a way to get out of keeping the commandment there. So they had conveniently set aside the word of God for human interpretations. That's always the way sin operates. God has given us his standard in his word. The word of God, by the way, is not just a a matter of, of you deciding what part of it you like and what part of it that you don't like. The Bible is God's revealed word. In the Bible, you have the mind of God, you have the heart of God, you have the will of God, you have the plan of God. And this is the final authority. It doesn't matter whether you believe this Bible or you don't believe this Bible. That doesn't change a thing in this world. Whether you believe it or not, it's still God's word. And so when people don't obey the scriptures, they can be clever in creating their own little plans uh, to enable them to get around the scriptures to do what they want to do. But that's always the way sin operates. Sin always wants to justify our behavior. Why we live the way we do, why we do what we do. When a person wants to do something that's clearly against the teachings of God's word, sin's method is always to deviate around it with some clever plan. God never changes his word. His guidelines, his word, he doesn't change that to accommodate our sin. That's how sin operates. But then notice, secondly, what sin obliterates. Notice what sin obliterates in verse 7 down through verse 9. So you'll get the picture here. The greatest relationship that any human being can experience 
is a relationship with a living, breathing God. This, the greatest activity that, that any human being can ever engage in is the worship of this living God. It's a wonderful thing to come to the house of God to worship with other individuals. But, but get this, our worshiping of the Lord is not just to be confined to Sundays and Wednesdays. Our worship of the Lord is to be all throughout the week, every day of the week. Jesus talked about this matter of worshiping God in John chapter 4. He was talking to the woman of Samaria when he said, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, John 4, 24. So sin obliterates that great relationship that man has with God and man worships God. Isaiah said it this way in Isaiah 59 and verse 2. He said, but your iniquities, your sins have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear and that's what sin does it obliterates that relationship it blocks the relationship that we have with God and, and that's what Jesus is getting ready to show these religious leaders their sin has obliterated their worship of God uh, in other words, it's obliterated spiritual worship and, and truthful worship. Verse 7 says, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you. And, and so he basically looks them in the eye and he calls them hypocrites. Now that word hypocrite really means a play actor. And that's really what they were doing. They were pretending to be something they weren't. They were like a play actor. Uh, he's actually quoting from Isaiah 29 and verse 13 that says, And the Lord said, Because this people drew, draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Notice what he says in verse 8. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. That's exactly what a hypocrite is. A play actor is somebody who is just acting out the part. The religious hypocrite is the person who, who turns religion into some kind of stage where they act out something with their words that isn't consistent with the reality in their heart. They say one thing with their lips, but they don't do it in their actions. And so that's what Jesus says in this verse. So it takes a whole lot more than just words to worship God. It has to be real in your heart. And that's what sin does. It obliterates your spiritual worship. So the question we need to ask is, are the things we say consistent with our heart and the way we live? You know, in the hymns we sing, we sing about loving. We think, sing about loving God and we sing about even loving others and then we don't love. We sing about forgiving and then we don't forgive. We sing about witnessing, about sharing the gospel and then we don't share the gospel. We have to always be careful that, that what we say with our lips is consistent with the condition of our hearts. So notice verse 9. Verse 9 says, in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. That word vain means to no end. They're putting on a religious show. Their worship is empty. It's futile. We have to worship God according to truth. The reality has to be there. But that's what sin does. It obliterates our worship. Notice also where sin originates. Where does it come from? 
Well, notice verse 10 through verse 20 that Jesus starts off here with a physical illustration in verse 10 and verse 11. So he called the people to him and he said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. So what he's simply saying there is, is that the food you put in your body is not what makes you a sinner. Jesus is saying that food is physical. It only affects the physical. What you eat can, can have an effect on your physical body, but it doesn't have a, an effect on your spiritual body necessarily. Eating can make you sick, but it won't necessarily make you a sinner. Uh, what, you, what you eat can make you unhealthy, but it doesn't necessarily make you unholy. You're not more spiritual because you're skinny as a rail, and, and, and you don't love Jesus more because you're 10 pounds underweight, and, and somebody who doesn't love Jesus less because they're 10 pounds overweight. That has nothing to do with it. The Pharisees had built this whole religious system on those kind of things. And it blew their system up, what Jesus was saying. And so when Jesus says that, uh, what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person, uh, they walk off in a huff. Notice verse 12 down through verse 14. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended? When they heard this saying, and he answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Basically, Jesus's answer was big deal. Let them go. Jesus was far more interested in not offending the father, God, than in not offending the religious people. You'll be a whole lot better off if you get to the point in your life where you're, where you're more interested in pleasing God than you are in pleasing people. Notice verse 13 and verse 14. He answered there and said, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are, they are blind guides, and if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pen. He's talking about their religious teaching. He's saying that they're just as blind as bats. Peter didn't get it either. In fact, it takes all the way to the book of Acts in Acts chapter 10 for Peter to finally understand this. And so these disciples, they had been brought up uh, believing that your relationship to God uh, by, by the religious system around them uh, was, was determined by the things you eat how you washed your hands, and, and all those kinds of things. And what Jesus is saying to them is revolutionary. Verse 15 says, But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you also still without understanding? He gives the spiritual application, and in this spiritual application, Jesus is going to really show the true nature of of sin. It's going to show us where sin originates. He shows us the depths of the human heart. He shows us that sin is an inward matter way before it ever becomes an outward matter. Notice verse 17. He says, Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? 
He's saying that, that when you eat physical food, it goes into your body, goes into your digestive system that takes it. The body takes what it needs, all the nutrients that it needs, and the rest is thrown out as waste. He's saying that eating is a physical matter and that sin is not a stomach problem. It's rather a heart problem. Notice verse 18. Verse 18, he says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from where? Comes from where? The heart. And this defiles a person. So sin is always inward before it's ever outward. That's why a person won't ever do any good just trying to cut out bad habits in their life. You have to deal with the heart. You're wasting your time when, when, you, when you're trying to stop those bad habits in your life if you don't deal with the heart problem. Proverbs 4 verse 23 says this, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Think about it. If you had a watch that quit working and, and, and you took it to the jeweler and, and you said, I've got a problem with my watch. Now, not the kind of watch we have today because we've got these digital watches and, and all that. Talking about the old watches that have the hands on it, the minute hand, the hour hand, and then sometimes the, the little second hand. And, and you go to the jeweler and you say, I've got a problem with my watch. And he says, well, what's the problem? And he says, well, there's something that's wrong with the hands. They've quit moving. He would look at the hands of your watch. He would turn it over. He would then open the back of it with his tools, and he would say, the problem's not with the hands. The problem is on the inside. When you deal with the inside, the outside will take care of itself. Another thing Jesus is teaching here is that sin is always potential before it's ever actual before it ever happens. There's the potential for sin before it ever actually happens. Look at verse 19. Verse 19, he says, For out of the heart come evil what? Thoughts. So you even just start thinking the evil thoughts. Notice what else he goes on to say. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Jesus gives us, if you will, an x-ray of the human heart. He shows us here that the seeds of evil are, are lying in every human heart. We are born into this world in sin. And given the right set of circumstances, you have the capacity and the capability of committing every sin that Jesus just named in that verse of scripture. Consider some of the dangers of falling prey to the doctrines of men though. First, the thoughts and the teachings of men are dangerous because it promotes a self-centeredness. That's what these Pharisees were doing. They were only focused on themselves. We see these Pharisees in, with these Pharisees in that children who, who didn't want to part with their resources could hold on to them instead of supporting their parents. However, when God's word says to do something that's not easy, we shouldn't be looking for some way out. We ought to be looking for to how we ought to submit to the Lord. Rather than being self-centered, followers of Jesus ought to be God-centered. Notice also that the thoughts of man should be avoided because they only fuel self-righteousness. 
When we follow the world's way of thinking, our way of thinking, we stop trusting in God. And instead, you begin to develop a, a, a prideful self-righteousness that has no need of God. You think, I've got it all together. We stand on our own soapboxes of, of, of the timeless truths of, instead of the timeless truths of the Scripture. And that's a slippery place to stand. And then there's a third danger of adopting man's thoughts is that it serves our self-interest. Jesus was, what, what he was saying here to these Pharisees, it was undercutting the Pharisees and the scribes and the role that they played in Jewish religion. Because think about this, if the word of God was held supremely and not the teaching of the elders then these scribes and these Pharisees would be out of a job. And their thoughts were fueling their own interests. And so what is the first thing we need to do in order to be the kind of Christian God wants us to be? First, what we need is a new heart. Our heart is sinful. Our heart is wicked. We need a new heart. What is the sacrifice that God asks us to bring to him? A broken and a contrite heart, Psalm 51, verse 17. What is the true circumcision that he talks about? The circumcision of the heart, Romans 2, verse 29. What is genuine obedience? Is to obey from the heart. What is saving faith? How do you, how do you get saved by faith? You believe in your heart. Uh, where ought Christ to dwell? He ought to dwell in our hearts through faith, Ephesians 3, 17. Everything revolves around the heart. The beginnings of all sin are right here in my heart and in your heart. Sin isn't a hand problem to be fixed by washing your hands. Sin is a heart problem. And the only ingredient that can deal with it is the precious blood of Jesus Christ. In other words, we don't need to be reformed, to turn over a new leaf, to change the habits in our life. We need regeneration. We need a brand new heart that's been washed clean in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Pharisees and the scribes, they wanted nothing to do what, with what Jesus had to say. But Jesus was point on. He tells us where sin originates. It originates in our heart. And but by the grace of God, there go you and me. So here's what I want to challenge you to do. Trust in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. That's the only way for you to get a new heart. He gives you a new heart. He gives you a new life in Christ Jesus. But once you have that new life, then you draw closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. You draw closer to him and he will draw closer to you. And the more your heart and your mind and your life is filled with the presence of God from the inside, it begins to change everything on the outside. The more time you spend in his word, the more time you spend in prayer, the more time you spend listening to God's word and, and, and worshiping God, the more you draw into his presence, the more his spirit fills you, and the more that begins to overflow out of you. And it begins to change the very essence of who you are. We need to get off the wagon to think that we can conform people from the outside inward. 
It has to be changed from the inside out. Here's the problem. I can't change you. You can't change me. Only God can change us from the inside out by giving us a new heart, washed clean in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all that you have done for us. Thank you for sending Jesus who died on that cross for us and, and paid the ultimate price on our behalf that we did not have to pay. Lord, help us to never take what Christ did for granted. Help us, Lord, to live in this truth that Jesus just shared with these Pharisees and scribes. This, being sinful is not about whether I wash my hands or don't wash my hands. Being sinful is about whether I know Jesus in my heart or not, whether I'm living for him in my heart or not. And so, Father, I pray that we would recognize that the place we need to begin, every one of us who are here, if there's one who's here or one who's watching online who doesn't know Christ as their Lord and their Savior, then this is the place they need to begin, with the heart. Lord, that they would believe in their heart and confess with their mouth Jesus as Lord. And, Lord, we understand it has to be in that order. Believe in the heart before we profess with the lips, trust in Jesus as our Lord, surrender to his lordship over our life, and receive that new heart in our lives. And Father, I pray that when we do that, may we as believers be challenged in our hearts, Lord, uh, to realize that it's not the outward things, it's the inward so help us, Lord, to examine our hearts, even as believers, lest we find ourselves to be hypocrites, according to your word. So, Father, bless your word tonight. Whatever decisions might need to be made in this time of invitation, Lord, I pray that you will lead those to step out and to come forward during this time. That those maybe watching online would just comment in the comments there so that we can be able to follow up with them. Father, I pray that your will will be done in our lives and we'll begin to gain the victory over sin in our lives as we trust in you and what you have done for us. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Brother Mike, come in. Five forty two in loving kindness Jesus came and be ready to go.
Well, thank you so much for being here tonight. Thank you for those of you who joined online. We'll be back again Wednesday night at 6 o'clock. We'll be back in the book of Revelation. I believe that's right. Yes. I've got so many different sermons I've got coming up. Uh, I won't be here this coming Sunday, uh, so I'm working on Wednesday night for this week and Wednesday night for the next week to put a video message uh, for you together. The one the following Wednesday night will be on Matthew 24 and 25 to help us uh, tie some things together for the book of Revelation. But join us Wednesday night, 6 o'clock. We'll see you later. You have a blessed week, and you take care.